So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for Brother Mike and for Shauna. Thank you for them leading us to the throne of grace. Thank you for them expressing in song what is in our hearts tonight. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. So we think about your grace tonight, your mercy. <clears throat> we think about salvation, which we have in Jesus Christ. And then we think about the lostness of the world. We think about brothers and sisters in Christ tonight who are caught in sin and have drifted far away in their relationship to you. It's where we've been in our lives. And so we come tonight asking that you would be our teacher, Holy Spirit of God, that we might learn as your people what it means to have spiritual sorrow for those who are in their sin. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us tonight Give us insight. Help us to see that spiritual sorrow for those in sin is being like Jesus. May these things come to our mind as we look at the book of Lamentations. And we thank you for your grace and mercy to us, and we thank you for salvation that we enjoy. What a blessing, what a privilege to come and sing in the middle of the week praise to your name. We pray for all of the Bible studies and all that are going on all over the campus, our, our students and our boys and girls and all the hard work that our people do in preparing and teaching every week. And we thank you, Lord, that we plant gospel seeds every day. And may you be pleased with what we do as a church. So we thank you now for your word and the opportunity we have to look at it together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good to see all of you tonight. If you, have a, if you haven't picked up the, the outline, you, you will need it tonight as we talk about a very important topic as we continue our study in the book of Lamentations. And I'll take you there. So uh, let me, let, let's go ahead and read Lamentations before we get into this very important topic tonight of holy laments for sinners. Holy laments for sinners. I remind you that what your Bible says is true. These are the Lamentations, the laments of Jeremiah the prophet. These are the laments of a holy man of God for sinful Israel. So again, I want to read it to you so that you feel the the energy of this. We've read chapter one. But tonight we're going to we're going to read for a while here, and and I want you to follow along with me. We're going to read both chapter one and chapter two because these two. Uh, these two first uh, laments are very important and they're linked together. And you'll see it. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. She has become like a widow who was once great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a forced laborer. She weeps bitterly in the night and her tears are on her cheeks. 
She has none to comfort her among all her lovers. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her, and they have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile under affliction, and under harsh servitude she dwells among the nations. But she has found no rest. All her pursuers have overtaken her in the midst of distress. The roads of Zion are in mourning because no one comes to the appointed feasts. All her gates are desolate. Her priests are groaning. Her virgins are afflicted. And she herself is bitter. Her adversaries have become her masters. Her enemies prosper. For the Lord has caused her grief. Because of the multitude of her transgressions, her little ones have gone away as captives before the adversaries. All her majesty has departed from the daughter of Zion. Her princes have become like deer. They have found no pasture, and they have fled without strength before the pursuer. In the days of her affliction and homelessness, Jerusalem remembers all her precious things. They were from the days of old. When her people fell into the hand of the adversary and no one helped her, the adversary saw her, they mocked at her ruin. Jerusalem sinned greatly, therefore she has become an unclean thing. All who honored her despise her because they have seen her nakedness. Even she herself groans and turns away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She did not consider her future. Therefore she has fallen astonishingly. She has no comfort. See, O Lord, my affliction, for the enemy has magnified himself. The adversary has stretched out his hand over all her precious things, for she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, the ones whom you commanded, that they should not enter into your congregation. All her people groan seeking bread. They have given their precious things for food to restore their lives themselves. See, O Lord, and look, for I am despised. Is it nothing to all you who pass by this way? Look and see if there is any pain like my pain, which was severely dealt out to me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. From on high he sent fire into my bones, and it prevailed over them. He has spread a net for my feet. He has turned me back. He has made me desolate. Faint all day long. The yoke of my transgressions is bound. By his hand they are knit together. They have come upon my neck. He has made my strength fail. The Lord has given me into the hands of those against whom I am not able to stand. The Lord has rejected all my strong men. In my midst he has called an appointed time against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden as in a vine press, as in a wine press, the virgin daughter of Judah. For these things I weep, my eyes run down with water, because far from me is a comforter, one who restores my soul. My children are desolate, because the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands, there is no one to comfort her. The Lord has commanded concerning Jacob that the ones round about him should be his adversaries. Jerusalem has become an unclean thing among them. The Lord is righteous, for I have rebelled against his command. Hear now, all peoples, behold my pain. 
My virgins and my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they have deceived me. My priests and my elders perish in the city while they sought food to restore their strength themselves. See, O Lord, for I am in distress. My spirit is greatly troubled. My heart is overturned within me, for I have been very rebellious. In the streets the sword slays, in the house it is like death. They have heard that I groan, there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my calamity. They are glad that you have done it. Oh, that you would bring the day which you have proclaimed, that they may become like me. Let all their wickedness come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me for all my transgressions. For my groans are many and my heart is faint. How the Lord has covered the daughter of Zion with a cloud in his anger. He has cast from heaven, he has cast from heaven to earth the glory of Israel and has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up. He has not spared all the habitations of Jacob. In his wrath, he has thrown down the strongholds of the daughter of Zion. He has brought them down to the ground. He has profaned the kingdom and its princes. In fierce anger, he has cut off all the strength of Israel. He has drawn back his right hand from before the enemy, and he has burned in Jacob like a fire, consuming round about. He has bent his bow like an enemy. He has set his right hand like an adversary and slain all that were pleasant to the eye. In the tent of the daughter of Zion, he has poured out his wrath like fire. The Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all its places. He has destroyed its strongholds and multiplied in the daughter of Judah mourning and moaning. And he has violently treated his tabernacle like a garden booth. He has destroyed his appointed meeting place. The Lord has caused to be forgotten the appointed feasts and Sabbath in Zion. And he has despised king and priest in the indignation of his anger. The Lord has rejected his altar. He has abandoned his sanctuary. He has delivered into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces. They have made a noise in the house of the Lord as in the day of an appointed feast. The Lord determined to destroy the wall of the, the, wall of the daughter of Zion. He has stretched out a line. He has not restrained his hand from destroying. And he has caused rampart and wall to lament. They have languished together. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has destroyed and broken her bars. Her king and her princes are among the na nations. The law is no more. Also, her prophets find no vision from the Lord. The elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground. They are silent. They have thrown dust on their heads. They have girded themselves with sackcloth. The virgins of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. My eyes fail because of tears. My spirit is greatly troubled. My heart is poured out on the earth because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. When little ones and infants faint 
in the streets of the city. They say to their mothers, where is grain and wine? As they faint like a wounded man in the streets of the city, as their life is poured out on their mother's bosom. How shall I admonish you? To what shall I compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? To what shall I liken you as I comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is as vast as the sea. Who can heal you? Your prophets have seen for you false and foolish visions, and they have not exposed your iniquity so as to restore you from captivity. But they have seen for you false and misleading oracles. All who pass along the way clap their hands in derision at you. They hiss and shake their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem. Is this the city of which they said, the perfection of beauty, a joy to all the earth? All your enemies have opened their mouths wide against you. They hiss and gnash their teeth. They say, we have swallowed her up. Surely this is the day for which we waited. We have reached it. We have seen it. The Lord has done what he purposed. He has accomplished his word, which he commanded from days of old. He has thrown down without sparing, and he has caused the enemy to rejoice over you. He has exalted the might of your adversaries. Their heart cried out to the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let your tears run down like a river day and night. Give yourself no relief. Let your eyes have no rest. Arise, cry aloud in the night. At the beginning of night watches, pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to him for the life of your little ones who are faint because of hunger at the head of every street. See, O Lord, and look with whom you have with whom have you dealt thus? Should women eat their offspring, the little ones who were born healthy? Should priests and prophets be slain in the sanctuary of the Lord? On the ground in the streets lie young and old. My virgins and my young men have fallen by the sword. You have slain them in the day of your anger. You have slaughtered, not sparing. You called as in the day of an appointed feast, my terrors on every side. And there was no one who escaped or survived in the day of the Lord's anger. Those whom I bore and reared, my enemy annihilated them. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. It is sobering to us to read of the devastating judgment of God upon unrepentant sinners. How we pray that tonight the Holy Spirit would be our teacher and that we might learn as Jeremiah teaches us and the Lord Jesus to have a spiritual sadness and sorrow for those who are in their sin and unwilling to come out of it as we lament for the lost sinner and the captured believer in their sin. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So on the outline, I've given you verse 16, which was a conclusion, and then chapter 2, verse 11. I read them again. 
for these, now this, these are, this is the testimony of Jeremiah. The focal truth there on your outline is this. This is what I want to talk about tonight. This is a very unusual thing. We have not, most of you not heard anybody talk about this before, but this is what we do when we teach the Word of God and we go through it. We come to these lessons that are sometimes not taught very well. It is the character and duty of believers to spiritually lament for the sinfulness of others. This is what Christians do. Regardless of how you've been taught or regardless of who you've listened to, we find here this very powerful example from Jeremiah, and I want to expand on it and also show you the Lord Jesus and also the Apostle Paul. And then I want to challenge you tonight with this question. Uh, when you, th first of all, there's something that you must do that you don't want to do. But you have to do it. You have to, and this is what I mean by the book of Lamentations. Lamentations forces us to look at suffering and misery and unrepentant sin and the wrath of God. <clears throat> it's a hard book to read. It's why it's one of the least preached books from the modern pulpit. I wonder why, but that's another story. <clears throat> Here's what you must think about. I know you don't want to think about it, but you have to. You have to think about the lost world. You have to think about the lost world. I didn't bring it in here, but Ken gave me this large poster that lists uh, the billion plus people who live on the planet. Billion plus the vast majority of whom are lost in their sins. A fellow said to me, well, I got saved. I don't want to think about what it's like to be lost anymore. But I said, you have to. <clears throat> you can never forget what it was like to be lost. You know what Paul said all the time? I'm the chief of sinners. Now look, Paul taught, taught, taught us more about being filled with the Spirit, walking with God, being united to Christ. But you know what else he said? I'm the chief of sinners. He never got over his past sinfulness. I'm asking you tonight this question. How often do you think about the lost of the world? And then I'm going to ask this further question. How often do you think about brothers and sisters in Christ tonight who are captured again in their sins and far away from God? They used to come to the house of God. They used to hear the Word of God. They used to love to read the Word of God. They used to thrill at praying. They used to come and it was what they do. But now, where are they? Where have they gone? We oftentimes say, well, where is so-and-so? But then we don't like the answer we hear. Oh, did you not hear? They don't read their Bible anymore. They've allowed other things to occupy their schedule and their time. <clears throat> their business has caused them to make accommodations to the world. 
This is not a matter of you judging someone else and judging yourself better. This is, I'm challenging you tonight to ask you, as a man or woman of God, how, what kind of emotions do you have when you think about the lost? And what kind of emotions do you have when you think about brothers and sisters in Christ who are trapped again in their sins? What did Paul call it in Galatians 6? Overtaken in a fault. Do you get angry? I know a lot of Christians say, well, they deserve it. <laughs> they deserve it. See, they deserve it. They've made their bed, they can lie in it. They spilled their milk, they can clean it up. Well, you reap what you sow. I'm quoting Christians. Is there any concern at all? Do we go our way? Verse 12 of chapter 1. Is it nothing to all of you who pass by this way? Perhaps this is why the church has no power in the American church today. Is it nothing to us as we pass by and see all of these broken, godless, lost people in our own families and in our own community? Is it nothing? Is it nothing? Or do we have emotions about it? I remind you tonight, this is quite an interesting twist in the life of Jeremiah. This is why he was such a man of God. I'm reading to you tonight how uh, the man of God, Jeremiah, preached. Again, 52 chapters. He faithfully preached to these very people who refused to hear what he preached, did not repent, and experienced the wrath of God. And the one who preached and his preaching was rejected now sits among these who deserve their judgment from God and he suffers with them. So you read these words, for these things I weep. This is Jeremiah. My eyes run down with water. He's weeping over these hard-hearted, unrepentant sinners who would not listen to the Word of God, and he weeps for them. Chapter 2, verse 11. My eyes fail because of tears. My spirit is greatly troubled. My heart is poured out on the earth because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. Then I read the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, the story. It's on your paper, Luke 19. This is right after all the people shouted, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. The Lord Jesus enters in, in triumph, on the donkey, celebrating palm branches. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city. Please look what your Bible says. And he wept over it. Anybody weeping over America? Anybody weeping over the world? Anybody weeping over Dixon? Or do we cross our arms and say, well, they deserve what they get and when they go to hell, they'll deserve it. 
He wept over Jerusalem. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. Saying, if you had known this day, even you, Jerusalem, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. The spiritual lament of the Lord Jesus Christ for Jerusalem just weeks before he was crucified. And then I take you to Romans. I didn't have it on your outline. Romans chapter 9. I'd like for you to go in your Bible there and look at this also. Paul the Apostle who knew and talked about so much about the glory of salvation in Christ. Paul the Apostle who understands and talks about uh, how God does what he does to save. He talks about salvation from eternity past. He talks about salvation in time. But here, here's a man who is moved by the lostness of his Jewish people. I'm telling you the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with, with me in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. Here's the man filled with the Spirit. Here is God's preacher. Here's the apostle to the Gentiles. Here is God's man. Here's the man who talks to us about the joy, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. This is the one who talks to us about the peace that comes in following the Holy Spirit of God. And he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. Why, Paul? Why? Why are you sad? For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my Jewish brethren. What a statement. Do I have in me the spiritual sadness that I would say, God, I'll go to hell so that somebody else might be saved. This is what it means to be a spirit-filled Christian. So we see here tonight these examples of holy lament for sinners in their sin. And what I'm hoping will happen is that the Holy Spirit will put that person on your mind as I talk about this. You all know somebody. I know somebody, somebody's. I know them who those who've walked with us here and they're gone. They're not gone because they're mad at the preacher or didn't like the way we do church. They're gone because they decided to go back to the world. I know some, I know somebody's who keeps saying no to the gospel. They're not in Africa. They're in Dixon. They're hardened by the religiosity of our world and everybody knows all the facts about Jesus and the Word of God, but they're lost in their sin. They're religiously lost, counting on their ceremonies and their baptisms 
to get them to heaven. And they're lost in their sins. And if we know the truth of God's word, if you do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you perish and go to hell. Eternal destruction from the hand of the Lord. And we know he is coming again. Whatever your view of the second coming, it is a, the judgment of God. Does it bother us? Does it matter? Pastor, I got so much pressure in my life, I can't do that. Well, you and the Lord will have to talk about that. If, do you mean, Pastor, that this means the church just ought to be in sadness all the time? I, I didn't say that. But if it never moves us, how can we go and talk to people about the Lord Jesus if it doesn't move us? If it doesn't really matter and you... <clears throat> look, <clears throat> let's just say it. If we believe everybody's already saved, then let's just have a party and celebrate. If they're not, then we have a job to do here. And we've been left here to do it. Paul goes on and says some very amazing things through Romans 9, 10, 11, such controversial things. And it, I remind us all, a lot of Bible students in here, before you go to the rest of 9, 10, 11, look how Paul starts 9, 10, and 11. He was grieved to his soul for those who, have not, who had not believed the gospel. So number one, the holy man of God was grieved deeply for the sinfulness of Israel. He wept because of Israel's sinfulness. Verse 16, for these things I weep, my eyes run down. He saw their distress. He saw their shame. He saw their comfortlessness. He saw their helplessness. He saw their pains. He had them too. He was in the same city with nothing to eat. He had nothing himself. He didn't have his own little, you know, you know, sometimes... All these people that go to all these disaster areas, you know, and cover it on the news, you think, well, you know, you got all your food talking about all these people don't have anything. Like, no, Jeremiah didn't have anything. He suffered right along with them. The consequences of their ungodliness and sinfulness poured out on this righteous man who, though he confessed his sin, was not in the condition they were in. He saw their aloneness. His sorrow was painfully deep. I take you back to Jeremiah 8. I've tried to lace all these places from Jeremiah into it. It's such a huge book. My sorrow is beyond healing. This is, this is Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah. My sorrow is beyond healing. My heart is faint within me. Behold, listen, the cry of the daughter of my people. Listen. Listen. He already was listening and hearing it before it happened. What happens to our loved ones and our friends and our lost Neighbors who work with us, if they do not hear the gospel, do you hear their cries? When judgment comes, the cry of the daughter of my people from a distant land, is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not within her? Why have they provoked me with graven images with foreign idols? He wept because of the pain of pain in their sufferings. For the brokenness of the daughter of my people. For the brokenness. I mourn 
dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm? Is there no medicine in Gilead? Is there not anything here to soothe us? Is there no physician there? Answer, no. Psalm 119, 135. My eyes shed streams of water because they do not keep your law. The holy man of God was afflicted with grief for the judgment of God. Not only for the, was he deeply grieved for their sinfulness. Look, let's pause back up there on this sinfulness matter. It should grieve us to see the perversion, the ungodliness of people who, have, who Romans chapter 1, have been given over to their sinfulness. They are perverted in every way. They are corrupt in their minds. They are degenerate. They have depraved minds. They, they invent more perverse and corrupt and ungodly things to do. They are in their sin and in the, they have been given over by the wrath of God. Does Again, as we read, is it nothing to all of you who pass by? I'm talking about children. I'm talking about students. I'm talking about adults of every age, every season of life. I was deeply grieved for the sinfulness of the world. He was also afflicted with the grief that came with the judgment of God. He sorrowed because of, the, of God's judgment on the, their sinful ways. I read it to you there, chapter 2, verse 11. He sorrowed for the innocent who suffered these children. Did you read all of these verses? Children. Children. Lamentations 2.19 Arise, cry in the night. At the beginning of the night watches, pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to Him for the life of your little ones. Cannibalism and dead children among with all the adults. Everywhere laying in Jerusalem. This is a historic story I speak to you about. This is not some riddle or some little novel. Some fiction. This is what the man of God saw. What do you see? What did the Lord say to the apostles when they were worried about what he was eating? At the well. Remember? You all are good Bible students. Oh, somebody else must have brought him some food. No. Look around you. The fields are white to harvest. And here they came. Here they came. His desire was to continue to be in sorrow for these sinners who were judged. By, oh, that my head were waters and my eyes fountains that I might weep day and night. See, what I'm, what I'm submitting to you all tonight is that when you have spiritual sorrow, not only does it help you in your spiritual life, it helps to promote us to be a soul winning people. Now I'm using old time words. Jeremiah 9, 2 and 3. Oh, that I... Oh, that I had in the desert a wayfarer's lodging place that I might leave my people and go from them. For all of them are adulterers and an assembly of treacherous men. They bend their tongue like bows. They lie. The truth does not prevail in the land for they proceed from evil to evil and they do not know me, declares the Lord. He confesses his sorrow. 
to sinful Israel for their judgment. You will say this word to them. This is what God commanded Jeremiah to say to these people. Let my eyes flow down with tears. I'm crying for you. This is what God said to Jeremiah to tell him. I'm crying for you, Israel. I'm crying for you day and night. For the virgin daughter of my people has been crushed with a mighty blow, with a sorely infected wound. So the nature of spiritual lament for sinners is this. There's an old Latin saying, the more holy, the more plentiful are our tears. I I didn't say it in Latin. I could, but I, I thought I'd just translate it for us. Jeremiah the prophet expresses the true nature of spiritual lament for sinners and their sin. So I've analyzed here for you and tried to give you these bullets so that we might summarize this tonight as we conclude. I'm challenging my brothers and sisters. I'm challenging this church. I'm saying to us that we have a spiritual duty. And it is in the character of the believer to have spiritual lament for sinfulness in the lives of others. When you see godlessness displayed in media, do you want to? Do you want to get mad or do you want to cry? The believer laments the sinfulness of sinners with its consequences. We know where it's going. Perhaps the hardest thing as a pastor is when you sit with people who have basically, let's just use marriage. You sit with two people and they've, they're, they, you know, a husband and a wife and they've been married, but then they decide for whatever reason that they're not going to be married anymore and the reasons and the excuses they give and all the rest. To witness the sadness of a husband or a wife who chooses to be unfaithful to their mate. And then they come and they sit and there they sit and you see it. You see the face of an adulterer. You hear the words of an adulterer, hard, hard, bitter, uncaring, selfish. Devastation to the family. Devastation in all relationships. Sin leaves its marks. Sin leaves its consequences. And that's why we lament. The marks last a lifetime. And you can never go back. You can never go back. The believer laments the nature of sinfulness in sinners. The lostness of people in their sin. The believer laments the sinfulness that remains in in himself or herself. The story is given of a pastor. This is old time days. He was just upset, weeping. And a man came his way and he said, why are you weeping? He said, because he was sad about a man who had walked with God, who had fallen back into sin. He said, he fell today. I may fall tomorrow. See, our self-righteousness protects us. Well, I'm never going to do that. Never say I'm never going to do it. You're in a dangerous place if you are living with self-arrogant self-righteousness. That's what blinded the Pharisees from the Lord Jesus. 
We've had recent failures of prominent pastors and the remarks of all across the board. Well, they deserved it. Well, good for them. Good. Kick them out. Throw them out. Throw the bum out to the other end. The way you respond to the failure and sin in the lives of brothers and sisters in Christ says a lot about your heart. Pay attention to it. It'll show you if you've got a hard heart. It'll show you if you have a self-righteous heart. Well, that'll never be me. How do you know that? How do you know that? Who told you that? Look to yourself. What does it say in Galatians 6? When a brother or sister is caught in a trespass, restore such a one. Oh, the church is not very good at this. When does somebody get restored? <laughs> Sometimes the answer is not ever with us. They have to go somewhere else. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself. Go look in the mirror. Lest you be tempted likewise. We are all in this room. We all have the capacity to sin greatly even after we've been saved. I hope you hear me now. So you see lamenting the sinfulness that remains in me. This is what we spent a lot of time on when we talked about spiritual mourning. Blessed are those who mourn. Spiritual mourning is seeing I still have corruption in me in my old nature. And I have the capacity to sin greatly in my old nature. If I don't continue to feed the new nature, if I don't continue to grow, if I don't continue to crucify the flesh, if I don't continue to pray and walk with God and be filled with the Spirit, I will default back to those things. I've said it to this church for years, and I'm in a place where you know what I'm talking about. How many times do you have to spray Roundup at your house in the summertime? A lot of times. Because nature always comes back. It's the natural way. The believer laments others' sinfulness to keep himself pure from sin. See, I have to look at it. So I have a, I have a friend, a pastor friend that I've known. I knew him for years and I've served with him for years who's had a terrible failure in his life, destroyed his ministry. Hasn't had very many people reach out to him. Pretty much everybody's done this. But it also is a chance for me to say, you know what, Mike, that could be you. That could be you. You see, this is why we do this. This is a part of the protection of ourselves from sin. Lamenting the sinfulness of others and the wickedness of others reminds us of how close we are to it. One time of yielding to temptation. The believer laments the dishonor and hatred of sinners toward God. Those who do not know God hate God. They are rebels against God. They say, I am in charge. I am in charge. I am the king. I'm on the throne. I want my way. I don't care what God says. I want my way. 
and people and lives are destroyed. Countries are destroyed. And godlessness is all around us because of the sinfulness and unrepentance of sinners toward God. They dishonor and hate God. And believers lament sinfulness in sinners. And what do they do? They intercede and pray. As we finish tonight, I'm going to ask you this. How often do you pray for the lost? Do you even know anybody tonight by name that's a lost person? I'm asking this church. This is our job. I've given you this from Jeremiah 14. Have you completely rejected Judah? This is his intercession. This is Jeremiah now praying to God on behalf of these sinful, godless Jews. Have you completely rejected Judah? Or have you loathed Zion? Why have you stricken us so that we are beyond healing? We waited for peace, but nothing good comes. And for a time of healing, but behold, terror. We know our wickedness, O Lord, the iniquity of our fathers. We have sinned against you. Do not despise us for your own namesake. Do not disgrace the throne of your glory. Remember and do not annul your covenant with us. Are there any among the idols of the nations who give rain? Or can the heavens grant showers? Is it not you, O Lord, our God? Therefore, we hope in you. For you are the one who has done all these things. Moses interceded. Jeremiah intercedes. The church is to intercede. There seems to be this activism in our time that the church is supposed to somehow solve the issues of evil by uh, some kind of uh, activism socially and politically that's going to take care of this. What a fool's game that is. We have all this busyness to do this, but we have very little praying in the church. We don't pray. I'm talking about the church. And I'm including First Baptist. When we pray, we pray for one another and we pray for sickness and we pray for the needs of people in our body. But do you pray for the lost, godless stranger? And do you pray for sinners who saved people who've been caught again in their sinfulness? Well, what do we do tonight? I love the way Paul said it. Put on a heart of compassion. I put on my coat, I put on my shirt, I put on my britches tonight. When you get up every day, what do you put on? Put on a heart of compassion. I actually had a guy say to me one time, well, you know, if you have a heart of compassion, you're just a liberal. What kind of a comment is that? We've got some twisted thinking going around in the church. The Lord Jesus has a heart of compassion this very moment. I've said it to this church. Your great high priest is the only one who still feels pain in heaven. His heart is moved for us as we speak to him and come to the throne of grace. Put on a heart of compassion and lament over the sinfulness of the lost world. Weep with those who weep, Romans 12, 15. We are sorry with the sorrowful. 
I'm a little bit long, and I know some of you have children. If you need to go, go, but I want, you, I want to finish this. So uh, Pat and I, many years ago, were doing ministry with some other couples, and sadly, one of the couples, there, they went to a, a, a thing at the school, and their little daughter ran out in the street in the car, hit the child, and killed the child. And so here we were, all of us in our, probably our mid-20s. And so what do we do? What do we do? Uh, we were all a long way from our homes. We were all in California. We were all from Oklahoma. What do we do? What are we going to do about this? Well, I say this because this will help us all when we help our people with sorrow. All of us try to do things when people are in sorrow, but sometimes we do the wrong things when they're in sorrow. <clears throat> So Pat and I decided that lots of people were doing lots of things. We decided that what our job was going to be was to go to our friends and, and just sit over at the house, do the dishes, wash the clothes, answer the phone, and leave them alone. You say, how cold-hearted are you, Pastor Mike? I wasn't trying to be cold-hearted. Those dear people were in such shock, our friends, that what were we going to say? And Jeremiah sat down in Jerusalem and the only person he talked to was God. When you help people in their sorrow, don't do too much. Sometimes what they appreciate most is you just being there. Being available. Taking care of things they are not capable at that time of doing. You weep with those who weep. You don't say, look, I, I can't handle it. I can't handle it. If I go over there, I'll get all caught up in it. And then, I, yes. This is what I'm trying to push for us to hear. You need to experience the sorrow of others so that you understand what real sorrow is. So that you can be an effective Christian. Ask God to give you a heart like Jesus. And God blesses and comforts those who spiritually mourn for their own sin and the sins of others. For these things I weep, my eyes run down with water. Because far from me is a comforter, one who restores my soul. But we read the great promise. God blesses those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. To the praise of the glory of His grace, the Lord is near to the door. I love you in the Lord Jesus. Thank you for letting me share my heart. Thank you for letting us talk about these things. But don't lose them now. I hope you'll linger and think about this tonight before you go to bed. So maybe this is the question. Is your heart sad for someone who is in their sin tonight? And my, answer, my question is that. And then my answer or my comment to you is I hope it is. I hope it is. It'll make you a better Christian to be sad for someone who's in their sin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. 
We thank you for this. This is the feelings and the, we, we, we've been told not to have feelings. We've been told by someone that we're not to have emotions, but you've made us your people with spiritual emotions, real emotions. And spiritual sadness is a part of what we do so that we minister effectively to other people. Fill this church. Fill this church with people who are gripped with the sinfulness of others that will lead us to be sad for them and to pray for them and to be available to share the gospel with them. Just as the Lord Jesus did to the end and just like Paul the Apostle did and as Jeremiah did. We thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. We thank you for the blessing that you walk with us through the saddest and deepest and hardest times of our life. And when we are sad in our own circumstances, perhaps that's when we're best ready to help someone else who's sad in their sorrow. So use us as a church, raise us up to be your people so that we might truly have tender hearts for the lost and those who are our brothers and sisters who've gone away from God, who've wandered far away from God, so that they might come back and have a restored relationship with the Lord that leads to joy and victory. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all that you do for us and give us traveling mercy as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Good to see all of you. Lord willing, see you Sunday. And there's a lot of folks here tonight. Maybe you don't know. Go by and introduce yourself. Say hello to them and have a great week. God bless you.